You're listening to a recent sermon from Covenant Church. For more information or other sermons like this one, you can find us at covenantchurchonline.com. And now with a message from our latest series, Worst Case Scenario, The Family Edition, here is our pastor, Travis Davenport. Well, welcome to uh, week one of Worst Case Scenario, Family Edition. I'm really excited about this new series that we have going on for the next three weeks. And just to kind of give you a heads up of, of the outline of December, we have three weeks that we're going to be spending talking about how, how to build fortress families and, um, and, and kind of just how do we become families who can stand the test of time, leave, leave a legacy that matters. And then on uh, the, a couple days before Christmas, we're going to be having what we call a family Christmas. And that's just going to be one service in the morning where we're going to be celebrating Christmas together and, and sharing the gospel through the story of Jesus' birth. And then the following Sunday, the last Sunday in December, we're going to be having what we call a celebration Sunday. Now, I know uh, some of you may be out of town. I don't know how that works for your family schedule, but this is going to be a really fun Sunday. We're going to recap some of the best moments of 2013 and cast some fresh, new, uh, strong new vision for the year 2014. And then we're going to be launching into a new series in January that's going to be pretty, pretty dope. So, <laughs> I would encourage you to be here. But today, week one of our new series entitled Worst Case Scenario, The Family Edition. And let me open it with this scripture that I was supposed to read uh, before. Matthew chapter 7 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Say, the rock. the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Fall of it. Or maybe your word says, great was its calamity. Um, I don't know if we have many church kids in here, but growing up, I was a church kid. I was practically born inside of a church, I think. And, and we used to have this song, right? The wise man. Okay, just stop. Just, <laughs> just forget it. <laughs> it was a bad experiment. Yeah, we used, to, we used to sing that song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house. And you know how it goes. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rain came. Some, yeah, you get how it goes. And, and we used to sing this song. It was one of the, the, the fun songs we sang. That one and the song, I'm in the Lord's Army. Remember that one? I'm in the Lord's Army. Yes, sir. You know? And we used to, you sang that one. I like saluting out there. That's great. I loved, I loved being a kid. Do we, do we have anybody who would just say, like, I loved being a kid? Anybody in here? It's holidays, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas especially, remind me of how much I just miss my childhood. You know what I mean? Um, when you're little, you don't think about carbs. You just don't. You think about how much food can I get into my mouth before I get whipped, right? That's what, those are the kind of things, like, is anybody going to notice this entire pumpkin pie that I take? Those are the kind of things that you think about. At Christmas time, it's just kind of like, what kind of gifts can I get? And, and, and even throughout the summertime, one of the, one of the biggest things on my mind during the summer was how much time am I going to get to spend outside playing? I loved playing outside. Um, I loved being in forts and building forts, building tree houses. And uh, hence is my story today about one of the first tree houses that I attempted to build. Um, I was in about fifth grade, I would say, and I, I had built kind of this, I don't, even, I don't even know if you can call it a tree house. It was a death trap out in a tree in our backyard. And the only thing I needed left, you know, the last thing I needed was just some stairs, right? And you just kind of take some, some boards or, or whatever you have, and you kind of nail them into the wall or nail them into the tree, and then you can climb up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like a makeshift kind of ladder hooked to a tree. And I couldn't find anything, and I was examining, you know, around our house and, and looking. And I, actually out in the garage, I found a couple of old-looking boards that I thought, these are perfect. They looked like old little doors or something, and, and I found them. They were just set it, sitting out. It was kind of like, like my parents had gift-wrapped them for me, like knowing exactly what I needed. So I took those, and, I, and uh, being in fifth grade, I, you know, I was a handyman, and so I went and got a little saw out of my dad's 
toolkit and I just began to saw these things in half and uh, cut them up and I grabbed some nails and I went up to the tree and I nailed all of them to a tree and it worked. It was fantastic. I was really excited until that evening for dinner because that evening for dinner, my dad came home and we were sitting down and we sat down for dinner and, and he asked my mom, hey, Robin, that's my mom, Robin, did, did, uh, did so-and-so come by to pick up the, the doors from the cabinet? And she said, well, he must have because they're not out there anymore. And in my mind, I thought, no. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> There's a good chance that I just cut up a, a cabinet that my parents and family have had in a generation for over 150 years. Um, we had a, my, my parents had an heirloom cabinet um, that had been passed down for, for like two or three generations, and it sat in the corner. They had gotten it on their wedding day, actually, from a gift from their, their great-grandma, who is now dead, um, kind of one of those irreplaceable things. And, and so I didn't say a word. <laughs> I, I didn't say a thing. A couple days passed, and, and uh, I remember sitting down at dinner time again, and, and my dad said, hey, Robin, did you, did you call so-and-so to see if they picked up the board? She said, I did, and, and they said they hadn't picked them up. And my dad looked, just looked right at me. Just. <laughs> Where are the boards, Travis? That's what he said. I said, what are you talking about? I don't know. What do you mean, right? <laughs> Where are the boards? And I said, well, I might have used them. He said, Used, and you know how parents get like increasing like in volume with the anger, like, you use them for what? Like that's the volume. And I said, for a very good reason. That's what. He said, okay, well this should be a fantastic reason because this is a family heirloom that's been passed down from generation to generation. What is this great reason that you use these cabinet doors for? And I said, a ladder for my treehouse. And I was properly... Uh, ushered away from dinner, and some things happened to me that I don't want to talk about. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is this is a really big deal because in the corner, this is awful. This is one of those moments. It's like the worst-case scenario for, for you as a kid. You can't get out of it. Like, I couldn't think of a lie fast enough, right? I mean, like, my brother did it. He's four. He didn't do that. There's a saw. There's, it's nailed out to a tree. Somebody didn't come and steal them out and put them up, you know? It was worst case scenario because my dad was upset. My mom was crying inconsolably in the corner. She said, oh, what are we going to do? What are, it's old. I was getting them fixed, you know? And, and her son had cut up the boards. And it was definitely a, a bad day in the Davenport house, to say the least. Um, and maybe you have stories like this. Uh, maybe we have some kind of worst case scenario stories that you're happy to get years between because now it's kind of funny, um, but then not so much. Um, but in life, the reality is when it comes to family, it can turn worst case scenario pretty quick, right? It can turn really worst case scenario very quick if we don't build our families with intentionality. And I'm not talking about the chopping up of a priceless family heirloom. That was bad. But what I'm talking about is the real type of devastation that, that has far greater implications. Maybe it's not the splitting up of a family heirloom, but maybe it's the splitting up of a family, uh, a divorce, a, a nasty divorce that, that makes children choose sides. Who do you want to live with? Who do you love more? Who do you like more? Your dad, your mom. The difficulty of raising your child uh, or your children in a single family home. A husband or a father not being the, the man that God has called him to be in his family. Kids that, if you're honest with yourself, sometimes feel more like a burden than a blessing. Teenagers and young, adult, young adults who, who rebel, put their family through an incredible amount of heartache and brokenness and, and, and headache. These are the types of, of scenarios that I'm talking about. And yet, these are the types of scenarios that, if we're honest, have been deemed normal today. Is that right? Am I off base or am I right? These are the types of scenarios that have been deemed honest or honestly deemed normal. Divorce, separation, rebellion, abuse, neglect, no purpose, no unity, no vision within the family. And what I want you to know this morning as, as we start off this, this series and lay kind of the foundation for this month, what I want you to know is that although these scenarios seem to be the norm in our culture today, it is not what God desires for your family. Amen? Brokenness, divorce, separation, rebellion, 
No unity. These are, these are things that, that, that God does not desire for your family. And so when it comes to building our families, we have to understand that, that we can't just replace the drywall any longer. We can't just slap a new coat of paint and pretend that it's okay and cover up the mold with, with some new paint. That's, that's not working. We can't pretend that everything is okay. Everything is not okay. Am I right? Everything is, is not okay. Rather, we have to, and this is difficult, we have to demolish our family structure. We have to demolish what is. We have to get some new blueprints. And we have to lay a new foundation and build from scratch. And listen, this isn't a type of building that we're going to put together uh, you know, for a family um, that we just put together haphazardly. You know, most people allow their families to be built because of circumstance or, or maybe time or just whatever happens in their life. Instead, we must build with intentionality. Yes? Are you with me? We must build with the end goal in mind. What is the vision for your family? Most people don't have that. Um, we must build a strong fortress that will endure the test of time. Uh, fortresses that offer a place of refuge, fortresses that provide protection, fortresses that become a place to safely launch out of as we, as we grow and as we grow up and launch our kids out into the world when the time is right. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I would write this down. We must begin building what I like to call fortress families. And this is going to be the overall, overarching, overall theme, rather, of this whole month. Fortress families. Turn to your neighbor and say, Fortress family. You got to say it with a little more oomph than that. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Fortress family. Now, there's been a couple famous fortresses through time. I, I think we have a couple photos of them. This, uh, this first one is found in the Ukraine. This is an amazing structure. This is, this is called the Ackerman Fortress. And this is hundreds and hundreds of years old. It's, it's humongous. The next one we have is the Belogradchik. You like that? I, stu- I, I tried that one. I learned my lesson about how to pronounce medicine the other day or chemicals in your brain, so I studied this one. Belogradchik Fortress, and it's found in Bulgaria. Um, next, we have on the Danube in, in Germany, we have this, this one called the Galubak Fortress. And these are all famous fortresses. And, and for, you, for you geeks out there, we also have the, let's see if we have the next photo, the, the Fortress of Solitude, <laughs> which is found somewhere, of course, in the Arctic. These are famous fortresses. Thread. Okay, you could pull that one down. That's, that didn't go as well as I thought. All right. Uh, some of you guys are like, that was an incorrect photo anyway, right? Sorry. <laughs> well, what do all these fortresses have in common? Well, number one, they're old. Most of them, all of them, really. They're hundreds of years old, and yet they've stood the test of time. They've, they've got high walls. They're hard to breach. Um, these walls are very difficult to penetrate. Uh, all of them, uh, apart from the, the uh, Fortress of Solitude, are, are made of stone and block. They're not made of things like wood. They're not made of things like plastic. Um, and similarly, uh, these fortresses share one, one thing as well. They're all built in the exact same manner. Now, this is really interesting because while all these, the, all these fortresses are built throughout different periods of time, and hang with me, they're all built throughout different periods of time, over hundreds of years. They're all built in different places around the world. Each one of them began their construction in the exact same manner. Isn't that interesting? Because there is truly only one way to build a fortress. There's only one way to begin building a fortress. And the way you begin is with what you call a cornerstone. I got you very, very interactive today. We're a little slumpy from Thanksgiving. You know, it's a little, we're a little tired. So I'm going to hear you say the word cornerstone. Let me hear you say that. Cornerstone. The cornerstone is how it all begins. The cornerstone or foundation stone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. And it's important since all the other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Without first starting with this cornerstone or foundation stone, there is no basis for the structure, there is no alignment for the structure, there is no foundation at all for the structure. And so unless you intend on living in a, in a hobbit hole your whole life, which if you like the Superman photo, you may want to live in a hobbit hole as well. I don't, I don't really know. Um, 
if that's you today, um, unless you want to live in a hole in the ground, the, the, the first step in building a fortress, or in our case, a fortress family, is that it must begin with the cornerstone. Are you with me so far? It must begin with the cornerstone. So, in talking about our families, here's the question we have to ask. Where are we to find a cornerstone? Where are we to find not just a cornerstone, but the cornerstone? Um, because if, if you remember, if the cornerstone is off by even just one degree, the entire structure is going to be off basis. It's going to be uh, aligned improperly. And we don't want just, just families that, that survive. We want families that thrive, so we have to build correctly. Um, now, if you ask most people, if you ask, I love this, if you ask most people, like, how do you build a home? What is, what is the foundation of your home? You hear things like this, love. Love is the foundation of our home. And you hear people say, you know, things like, home is where the heart is. Or you, or you hear people say things like, you know, this home runs on, uh, this home runs on love and strong coffee. Right? <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> My mom used to have crafts, which, by the way, can I, just, can I just talk about this for a minute? This has nothing to do with anything except crafting. If you collect crafts, God bless you. But I, I, I just have to say, I think you're overpaying for chicken wire in a piece of wood that you put on your wall and carve in a heart. I'm just saying, if you pay more than $4 for that, um, you have been duped, because I will make it for you and charge you 10 All right. <laughs> this was my mom, but my mom would collect crafts and hang them on the wall and be like, hey, somebody left garbage outside. Oh, no, I just purchased that. That's, uh, that's going on the wall in the kitchen. Oh, Okay, it looks like a broken board. Oh, it is. It's a broken board with a wheel on it. I put it up on the wall. It looks beautiful. It's a craft. Oh, okay. And then you read it, and it's got some kind of inscription on it that's like, love is the wheel that rotates our family, you know, or whatever it is. Um, a family that loves each other can stand the test of time, and it's an old bro broken clock with like a, a reindeer on the inside. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? I don't know. And so when we say things like love is the foundation of our home, everything is built on love, it sounds beautiful. Doesn't it? It sounds beautiful. It sounds, it sounds nice. It sounds attractive. But, but what happens when that love is tested? What is, what is the absolute for love that we draw our family standards from? And, and, if, and if that's the case, then what is the absolute standard for love itself? That's a strong question. doesn't sound like it, but think about it. What is the absolute standard for love? Is the absolute found in our emotions? Is that the standard for love? Emotions can, can sway from day to day, especially if you're a teenager. Is it, is it found in our mindset? That kind of love only works if everyone shares in the same mindset in your family. Is it found in rules? Is your, is your love founded upon rules? Is that the absolute? Some people would say that rules are meant to be broken. Uh, and that part of a family means letting your kids break rules and let, letting your kids find their own way and sow their, their wild oats. You heard that before? We're not going to push anything on our kids. We want to let them find their own way. So we just push them out into the world and hope that they find their way. Or perseverance. When a difficult situation happens, you often hear people who base their love out of perseverance say things like this. We know our son. We know our daughter. We know my wife. We know my husband. Whatever it is, is caught up in a difficult thing and this or that but we will love him her through it because we know that love will prevail because all you need is all you need is no can i just say no all you need is not just love sorry john lennon that is just not just not True. I love when people say, all you need is love. Just love him through it. Love him through it. Love him. No, this is akin to you standing in a boat with a, with a life raft. Someone standing there drowning, being like, help me, help me. Just you just yelling at him, I love you. <laughs> I want you to know I love you. You got this. I love you. I know how to help. I could save you right now. But it's more important to, to me that you know my feelings towards you while you slowly drown. No, no, not, not at all. To begin building a fortress family, we cannot settle for loosely understood concepts of what love is. We have to understand what a cornerstone is and where it comes from. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and now we're going to get into the meat of it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you, and this is, this is awesome scripture, you who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. Who is this talking to? This is speaking to us. Us. It says, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh in dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Follow along, verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace for you who were far off. This is Jesus. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, and here's the word, what is it? Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The first building block of a fortress family is recognizing that Jesus must be the cornerstone. I'm just going to say that one more time because it, it's good. The first block of a fortress family is recognizing that Jesus must be the cornerstone. Amen? Remember, the cornerstone must be perfect. The cornerstone has to be the thing that even, you know, if it's one degree off, it's going to mess up everything. It has to be utterly perfect for the structure to work, for it to hold. It has to bear the weight of the structure. The cornerstone must be trustworthy. And so when it comes to our families, search no further than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ must be the cornerstone of a fortress family. He is the only worthy cornerstone throughout all of time. And I say this because Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for us. Now, now I want to deviate a little bit from the normal message that you might hear when we talk about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Because we would all agree with that most likely. You all are here. We're here worshiping Jesus. We're here singing about Jesus. We're here talking about him. But sometimes my fear for, for us as churched individuals is that we hear this stuff so much that we don't even realize why Jesus should be the cornerstone, apart from the fact that he's the Son of God, right? Can you really tell me why Jesus is worthy to be called the cornerstone? Can you really tell me why, if I asked you, why he should be the cornerstone of your family? I don't know. Maybe you could. Maybe you couldn't. Let me make a good case on why Jesus should be the cornerstone. Because Jesus' call to make uh, him the cornerstone of your family is, is rooted in what he's already done for you. It's rooted in what he's already done for you. I think sometimes we're scared to make Jesus like the center of our family because we're scared that he's going to turn our family into some weird, hyper-religious family that only wears skirts, pleated pants, and, and, and grows their family from within their own gene pool. You know what I mean? Like that's, we can be honest. It's all right. Like No offense if you have pleated pants on. Um, <laughs> Or a skirt on, if you're a lady. And, um, yeah, that's not Jesus' intent. That's not his intention. That's not why Jesus came and lived and died and rose again for you. So he can make you into some fragmented section of, of society. Build an ark and go live off by yourself and not have any impact. That's not why, that's not why he came and died for you, right? Uh, Jesus didn't come here and, and live and die and, and rise again so that, so that you could complete some long list of moral obligations. That's not why Jesus came either. Jesus has something much different in mind for your family. So Jesus lived, died, and rose again to transform your family into, we keep using this term, into a fortress family that would leave a legacy of the gospel for generations to come. Jesus' death in your place was not only meant to pay for the punishment of your sin so that you could be forgiven, but also to deliver you and your family from the power of sin, so that you and your family can live for him. So here's how Jesus should be regarded as the cornerstone in your family. I want to give you some practical tips on how you can regard Jesus as the cornerstone, and how you can make him the center. All right? Here we go. Let's start the sermon. Number one, Jesus should be celebrated as your family's victor. 
Jesus should be celebrated as your family's victor. Too often we talk about Jesus in church, and then we go home and we don't talk about Jesus. The name of Jesus isn't even used in our homes, unless it's over dinner or breakfast, and we might say, in Jesus' name. But who is Jesus to your family? Well, number one, Jesus should be celebrated as your family's victor. In our opening scripture, we read this, Colossians 2. And you, and this, 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 is, this is some good scripture right here. I mean, this is like, this will preach right here. Colossians 2. And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Man, that is good. He took your crap, put it on a cross, and nailed it and killed it. Oh, you use the C word. That's what it is. It's disgusting, vile, filth, sin. And Jesus took it, put it on himself, and nailed it to the cross, and paid for it. And then verse 15 is why Jesus is such a victor. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Man, you got to like that. Put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It's kind of like, you know how you should feel about Jesus when you're talking about victory in Jesus? It's kind of like when I was sitting on my couch yesterday. And there's not much time left on the clock. And that team up north scored. And I thought, this is going to be over. Right? It, it, looks, it looks hopeless. Are you with me? Follow, follow me here. This isn't just some, 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 some you know, coy plea I mean, to, to get you riled up. It is a little bit, but just hang with me. I want you to experience what this emotion should be like when we talk about Jesus. In the last seconds of the game, we feel like all hope is lost. They've scored on us this way in a couple ways. They're going for two. They're going to take the game. But just at the last second, when it seems like all hope is lost, the ball is tossed, and somebody comes and intercepts the ball and takes, takes it for us and wins the game. You know that feeling that you experienced yesterday? When you jumped up out of your chair and said, yes, yes, yes. You know what I'm talking about. That's right. That's a feeling of victory. That's the feeling of victory. Jesus Christ came and took your sin, nailed it to a cross, and said, you are accountable for this no longer. I own it. And we should be at the foot of the cross screaming, yes, yes, yes. If not for Jesus, my hope will be lost. Some of you have never experienced Jesus in that way. That same feeling that you got yesterday, that's the feeling of victory and a little bit of ego, but <laughs> bragging rights. Because Jesus conquered Satan. Jesus conquered death and sin. And he did this so that we could live a life free from their rule. Jesus disarmed their power and literally put them to open shame. Jesus, Jesus should be celebrated as your family's victor. Number two, number two, Jesus should be hailed as your family's hero. Jesus should be hailed as your family's hero. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus makes the most unbelievable exchange with us. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Jesus initiated this exchange with us so that we could be fully justified in the sight of God the Father. Jesus should be hailed as your family's hero. And lastly, number three, Jesus should be worshipped as your family's savior. Jesus should be worshipped as your family's savior. First Timothy 2, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, everyone is born imprisoned to sin. And to release us from that sin, to release us from that prison, a payment had to be made. And this is a payment that could not be made with any amount of money. 
This is not a payment that could, be, that could be wiggled out of by any kind of bargaining chip. This was a prison that had to be paid for. This is a ransom that had to have been paid for with blood. And in this way, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins with his very own blood. Jesus ransomed us from our imprisonment of sin and death and saved us. Jesus should be worshipped as our family's Savior. So... If you haven't paid attention to this point, here's the cliff notes. You ready? Jesus should be celebrated as your family's victory, stomping out evil. He should be hailed as your family's hero, becoming our sin for us. And Jesus should be worshipped as your family's savior, spilling his blood as a ransom for your life. Now here's the problem. You might say, amen, but I don't believe you. I love you, church, but I don't believe you. You might want that to be the case, but... But we're not doing that in our homes today, right? We're not. In most homes, even Christian homes, Jesus Christ is marginalized, maligned, and misrepresented. He's marginalized because we don't talk about him. We don't make enough of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about Jesus at all. We don't even know how to talk about him in our families, in our homes, when the doors close. He's maligned because we blame Jesus when things go wrong. Jesus, why'd you let that happen? I pray to you, I tithe, I go to church, I do this, and you let this happen? I'm mad at you. I'm not, whatever. We malign him. We misrepresent him. Because we teach our kids that Jesus is, is, is like some kind of genie. Like when we rub our Bible three times and, and, and say some magic words like, Dear Lord, that he's going to pop out and grant us his wishes. And then when he doesn't do that, we get mad at him. Jesus, why don't you grant me my wishes? Jesus isn't a genie. That's why. Jesus isn't Santa Claus. Who, who knows if you're naughty or nice. He's got a list. And he's checking you off. And he's going to drop by your chimney and give you a lump of coal. That's, not, that's Santa Claus. That is, you do know the difference between Santa and Jesus, right? Do you, do you know the, the two different people? Yeah, okay, they're different. Different. It's not Jesus. We misrepresent him. Listen, not only has Jesus earned the right to be the cornerstone of our family, he is the only thing that actually will hold our family together. This is the scripture we read to begin. And this is a good scripture. Colossians chapter 1 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Amen? Am I reading to you this morning? Where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things... We're created through him and for him. Say all things. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be first, rather. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen to me. Here's maybe what you don't understand about Jesus. Everything that is, is because Jesus allows it to be. This is the power of our Savior Jesus. This is the power of our hero. This is the power of our Savior. This is the power of our victor named Jesus. Everything that moves, moves because Jesus allows it to move. Are you hearing me? Everything that breathes, breathes because Jesus allows it to breathe. Everything that is held together is held together because Jesus allows it to continue to be held together. The, sin, the sun sits in its place because Jesus allows it to. The earth rotates on its axis because Jesus allows it to. Your lungs take in oxygen because Jesus says, okay, do that. Your heart pumps blood because Jesus says, heart, pump blood. Scripture says that in him all things were created through him and for him, and that he is before all things and he holds all things together. He is the one and only, and I want to say this softly so that you hear this. He is the one and only supreme ruler and reigner over all that is. Period. Jesus is the cornerstone. And he's not just the cornerstone for your family, he's the cornerstone for all of creation. If it weren't for Jesus, nothing would be held together. Everything is built on Jesus. Everything works because 
of Jesus. Jesus is to be the center of everything you do. Now, I know I've talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating. Because here's, we're going to get into some practical application really quick here. And we're going to close. But here's one thing that I feel like we do in our families. And, and um, I don't know if you're like me, but in our home we have a to-do list. Anybody have a to-do list? You might call it a honey-do list, right? I don't pay attention to that one. I just do the to-do list for our family. And uh, I'm just kidding. And um, so we have a to-do list. We put it on the fridge. This, this, this. We have a list of rules. You know, no, you're supposed to do this. Stella, you're supposed to do this. Uh, Judy, you're supposed to do this. And we, you know, I tell our twins, you're supposed to do this. But they don't do anything yet. They just <laughs> poop. <laughs> and, um, and so we have this list of, of, of things to do. I, I, my, my fear is, when I, if I asked you the question this morning, what place does Jesus have in your life? You might, with good intention, say, well, Jesus is number one, right? Jesus is the top of my list. In fact, let me just make you a list of priorities. Uh, let me just read you my list of priorities. Number one is Jesus. Jesus is at the top, my whole family, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then it's my wife, and it's my kids, and it's, you know, the Buckeyes, and it's work, and then it's me, alas, you know. And uh, that sounds good, but that's incorrect. Because Jesus doesn't want to be first on your list. Jesus wants to be the center of your world. This is a big difference. Um, because when we put things on our list, when we get done with them, we cross them off. Correct? And so there's the opportunity that, that we will have, there's the bad opportunity that we create, rather, that we, we think like, well, I'm going to start my day off with, with reading Scripture, which sounds fantastic. But then we cross that off the list. Well, I got my time done with God. Now it's off to work. And then we think like, well, I'm going to buy some flowers for my wife. Okay, check that off. I'm good to go. That should cover what I did yesterday, Right? We check that off, and then we're like, all right, now I've got to spend some time with my kids. Okay, check that off. Ah, now it's me time, right? Here's the problem. Jesus does not want to be at the top of your list. He doesn't want to be number two, number three, number four, number five on your priority. Jesus wants to be the center of your world that your entire list revolves and orbits around. Everything on that list should run through the person, Jesus Christ. Everything. Your to-do list should be affected by the gravitational pull of Jesus Christ in the center of your universe. Which means this, simply put. That means the time that you spend with your wife, Jesus Christ should affect that time. You follow me? That means the time that you go to work, Jesus Christ affects the way that you work. That means the time that you watch the Buckeyes, Jesus Christ affects the way that you talk about the other team that they're playing. He understands, it's all right. We're not perfect. The time that you spend with your kids, the time that you're at your house, your personal time, what you watch, what you listen to, I'm going to go on down the list. Everything is to be influenced by Jesus Christ. You, you follow me? Is this different? You hear that? It's different. Um, he's to be the center of our world. He's to be the mortar that holds everything together. Everything together. And so how can we begin building a fortress family? Well, number one, we have to simply put Jesus at the center. He is the cornerstone, and he also must be the center, and we must understand that he is the thing that holds it all together. But now, practically speaking, Joshua 24, 15 says this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is such a good verse. It's such a short verse. I want to challenge you and your family to memorize this verse. In fact, one of the first things we're going to do next week when we talk is I'm going to have a stand, and I'm going to have us recite this verse. And maybe we'll put it on the screen so you can trick me. I don't know. We'll see. But Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Would you read this with me? As for me and my house, we've got a long way to go before next Sunday. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So how do you build a fortress family? A family that stands the test of time. A, stand, a, a fortress that this world cannot penetrate. Well, one block at a time. That's how. One block at a time. And it starts with vision. It starts with vision. How many of you are small business owners? You work a job, you're a manager, and you know the vision for your company. You could state it. How many of you know the vision for other companies? You could state them. You even know the vision for our church to seek and save the lost. That's the vision. That's what it looks like. That's, that's not our goal. 
That's us putting faith in action and, and running towards something. That's who we are. That's who we want to continue to be. We have a vision for everything, except our families. Now, can you tell me how that makes sense? And so if you begin just to build without having a vision, if you begin to build without any blueprints, you're going to build something that looks like you pulled it out of a Dr. Seuss book. Like, right? It's going to look very weird. It's going to look lopsided. It's going to be very strange. You need to build with intentionality, and it begins with vision. What do you want your home to look like? What do you want your children to look like when they are having children? Have you ever thought about that? We say things like this, gosh, I hope our kids turn out okay. And then we just let hope, like, just go. Like, I hope it's okay. I have no control. Just... Right? You know what I mean? It's like, a like we catch a dandelion like seed. Like, here's my kids. I hope that the winds of time take care of them. Right? That's so dumb. That just, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what's the vision for your family? Have you prayed about that? Have you talked about that as a family? Have you prayed about that with your wife? Have you prayed with your wife? When it comes to building a fortress family, here are three of the most important blocks. Number one, number one, and these are simple, things that you could institute today. Number one, consistent prayer with your family. If I were to come into your home today, and watch the process of your family during the day, over the course of the day and through the evening, your dinner together, if you eat dinner together, how your kids go to bed, whatever it is. Is there prayer together as a family? You're like, yep, I got gotcha. you. Yes, there is. When we sit down for dinner, dad prays. We close our eyes and we all say, amen, and then we eat. Now, it's the same prayer every day. It goes something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Bless us food to our bodies. Forgive us for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the, that's the prayer, right? Now, that's called a habit. That's not called a prayer. There's a big difference between a habit and a prayer. Now, habits are good. We should get into the habit of praying, but not just the habit of saying some words so that we don't feel bad. Are you following me? We need to pray as a family. You need to teach your kids how to pray. Well, I don't really know how. Learn. Learn how to talk to God. And teach your children how to talk to God. Well, I don't really know. It's really easy. Open your mouth and talk. That's, that's the gist of having a conversation with God. I know, it's, it's mind-blowing stuff, theological stuff. I hope it's not too deep today. That's really, really hard. I know, strong, right? Pray as a family. You know what this means? This means setting time aside in your day to sit down and pray. Hey, son, we're all sitting down as a family. In my family, there's 45 of us in a house. <laughs> and we sit down, and, 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 and we all sit down together before bedtime. And I'll say, okay, Noah, you know, what can I pray for you about tonight, buddy? He'll say a couple things, you know. He'll always throw in, like, what he wants for Christmas, even if it's the day after Christmas. Well, Dad, I'm just really praying that, 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 that God will give you a heart to buy me this next year. That's what I'm praying for. Okay, manipulator, right? My daughter's always praying for unicorns and fairies and ponies, and it's adorable. And, um, and Judah just goes, Bleh. that's all he does. Just, what do you want to pray about? Bleh. Okay. Um, but we pray. And then I ask my daughter, Stella, okay, Stella, it's time for you to pray. And my kids battle over who gets to pray. It's kind of bad at, at dinner time. Like, all right, let's pray. I won't pray tonight, Daddy. Okay. No, no, I, she prayed last night. I get to pray tonight, Daddy. Okay. And they pray, and they pray for each other, like, in evil ways. Like, God, I pray that you'll forgive Stella for being so mean to me. God, I know she's probably going to go to hell for what she did, but you know, I just show her mercy. I hope Dad not to beat her too much. Amen. All right, let's eat. Pass the mashed potatoes, right? That's... But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. They're learning how to talk to God. They're learning how to voice what they're feeling. We pray for each other. We pray for families. We pray for, we pray for you. Pray for you, you by name. It's important. A family must pray together. And listen, Dad, this starts with you. And Mom, it continues with you. Don't be one of those moms who's like, I'm just a supportive wife. Go ahead, just, just pray, honey. Just, I got you, I got you. I'm, I'm over here praying. No, your kids need to hear you pray. They need to hear you, mom, say, God, 
Thank you for what you've given to us. Thank you for a godly man that is my husband and the children's father. They need to hear that. Number one, the building block is prayer. Number two, consistent prayer. Number two, block number two, consistent time in the word. Consistent time in the word. Number one is prayer, consistent prayer. Number two, consistent time in the word. Now, what does this look like? This means as a family, you sit down and open up the Bible. Well, I don't know how to read. I can't help you there. I don't know what that, get on audio, I guess. I don't know. You sit down and you open up the word. Well, where do I read? Anywhere. Just open it up and start reading about Jesus Christ. Just open it up. Just turn it on or open it up or whatever and start reading. And then sit around and ask questions. What do you think Jesus meant in this? Well, I don't know. Maybe it meant this. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it meant this. Yeah, maybe. And see, we're terrified of this as, as, as husbands and, and wives, aren't we? Can we be honest? We're scared our kids are going to ask us some deep theological question that we're not going to have an answer to. When it's simply okay to say this phrase, this, this, this phrase will save you uh, stress. Your kids ask you something that you don't know, here's what you do. I don't know. Problem solved. I don't know. Let me find out. I'll get back with you. Oh, okay. Instead, we make up something, right? Well, do you understand? Like, I don't even know. We just make something up. Like, <laughs> was Adam really created by God out of dirt? Well, to understand, you've got to know the biological structure of, you know, whatever. And they're like, okay, whatever, Dad, right? You just say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And then we find out. And then we come back the next day and we talk about it. Here's what I learned. I looked it up. I asked our pastor. I asked our small group leader, our sea life leader. Here's what they told me. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And then we grow as a family. We spend time in the Word as a family, which means that all of us as one family unit are hearing God talk to us. That's how we hear God talk to us, through His Word. Some of your families have never heard the, word, the voice of God in your, in your home, ever. Never heard the voice of God, never heard the name of Jesus. And you wonder why your family is broken. You wonder why it's not working. Number one, consistent time in prayer. Number two, consistent time in the Word. And block number three, consistent time, period. Consistent time in prayer, consistent time in the Word, consistent time together, period. I know that life is busy. I know that we play soccer. I know that we play football. I know that we have ballerinas. I know that we have art class. I know that we have math Olympics. Or the spelling bee. I know that we have people in college and we all have 19 jobs. I, I know this and this and this. But at some point, you have to stop and make time for your family. Consistently. Your kids are going to be gone before you know it. Gone before you know it. And some of you are like, amen. <laughs> Praise God, there is hope. Your children are going to be gone before you know it. You need to spend time together as a family. What are some family traditions that you have? What are the memories that you have as a family? One of the family memories that I have is we would go up to Canada every year, eh? And uh, we had this little cottage, and it's 13 and a half, 14 and a half hours away. Absolutely the worst drive anybody could ever take, ever, in a van, right? And, but I have some of the greatest memories ever that I have of my family in this old minivan driving to Canada. Some of the greatest memories ever. And we're dirt poor, you know? But driving up, we, we sang songs, we, we did things. It's just fun. Threw stuff at people in the other lanes that were driving. We're Canadian, and, but they're too nice to do anything back to you. You know, it's whatever, right? We have fantastic family memories. What are the memories that you have with your family? Huh? What are they? Are they focused around Jesus? Are they centered around anything? Do you have any memories of a as a family? This is how we go from a loosely connected families of individuals where the only thing in common is a lineage to a family of unity who share in a preferred legacy. A legacy of vision, a legacy of purpose, a legacy of the gospel. This is the legacy of a fortress family. And I would say this. Just in closing, this entire world is trying to break your family. Our families are under attack in, in our world, dare I even say like our country, 
today more than ever. Satan knows, our enemy knows, that if he can divide a family, he can divide a country. And so one of the first things he does is he tries to divide mothers and fathers and redefine marriage. He tries to come in and and separate children and, and parents and talk about the rights that a child has to keep things from their parents. Divisive. But this is how you divide a country. You start by dividing the families. But what happens when we have families that move as one unit? What happens when we have families that become strong, impenetrable fortresses that not only just hide from the world, but perch up top and can pick off the enemies as they see them coming from miles away? I'll tell you, if division of a country happens when we divide families, what happens when we unite families? What happens when we unite parents? What happens when we unite family units? We change our culture. We talk about wanting to change our culture all the time, right? But we do nothing about it. Let's change the culture. Let's take this world back. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then we go home and we don't talk about Jesus. Pray. Read scripture. Spend time with your family. Become a family unit. Become a fortress family. That's how you change our country. That's how you change our world. This is how you change your legacy. This is how you leave a legacy of the gospel for generations and generations to come. Thanks for listening to this recent sermon from our series, Worst Case Scenario, The Family Edition at Covenant Church. If you've made any type of decision today after hearing this message, we'd love to hear your story. Please take a moment to email us at my story at covenantchurchonline.com and check back regularly for more exciting and impactful sermon audio just like this.